This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Right, we're, we're not using video, video, right, Robbie? We're not using video, right? No, okay. sir. We just, unless you want us to see your pretty face. Not at all. If I didn't have to shave, I wouldn't have a mirror in my bathroom. But you've been on TV for 35 years, cuz. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, cuz, I want to welcome you because a lot of people don't actually know that you are the reason Blood Origins is the way that it is today. Robbie, I, I got to tell you, I don't feel like I had much to do with that because when you showed me the pilot of that project, it, it gave me cold chills and I hadn't seen anything to do with it. The only suggestion I made was you have to host it. The one thing I've been good at if I've been good at anything is uh, reading people and I kind of know people and I, I just, I just knew that you needed to be the guy to do that because you're uh, very different, very interesting. Your story alone was amazing. You could probably do an episode every week on just your story, but 
again, I felt like I had very little to do with, with that, but I appreciate your kind words. Cody, did you hear all that? Did you take all those notes, Cody? I need you to reiterate what Cuz says to me every week. <laughs> I think I think it's a well-known fact that Cuz is way nicer than the average bear. He's just a great human being, right? And he knows this is your show, so he's trying to be sweet to you. And that doesn't mean I have to carry on that tradition forever, Robbie. Damn it. <laughs> you relax. You relax. You relax. Now it's, uh, you know, Robbie, you can see what's happened with Blood Origins. Because, man, it is so hard to grow anything nowadays. I, I read a piece the other day. There's like six and a half million podcasts. I don't know how many Instagrams and Facebooks. And yours, the, the Blood Origins continues to click up because, number one, it's unique. It's a message that nobody else is, is – nobody's resonating that message like you are. And uh, it, it just says a lot when you can grow something that fast in this day and time. Number one, there was a need for it. Number two, there was an audience interested in that. And good for y'all for taking that on your shoulders. That's a, that's a tough subject to deal with. I've, I've dealt with it in a smaller way for decades. You know, anti-hunting this, anti-hunting that. You know, and I'm, I've probably told you the story the first time I went Back in the day, the NRA had these events called the Great American Hunters Tour or something like that. And the first one was in Philadelphia. And uh, they had four, I think it was four speakers. Jim Zumbo did elk. Dick Idle did whitetail. Chuck Adams did bow hunting. I was the turkey guy. And when we pulled, I can remember pulling into that parking lot. I don't remember what arena or whatever facility it was at. But the anti-hunters were out there in force. First time I'd ever laid eyes on them, and they were throwing painted cars and dressed in bunny suits and all that kind of stuff. And I was floored because I live in a bubble down here in Mississippi. I was floored that those people really existed. And uh, so I, I, I decided to try to arm myself with some defense on how to deal with that from time to time, nowhere near the arena that y'all live in right now, but it's it's out there and it needs to be addressed. Well, I appreciate those. You know, I can still remember when I brought you the pilots and we sat down in Mossy Oak headquarters in uh, West Point, Mississippi, and there was this old beat-up leather couch. <laughs> and I sat you down and there was a beat-up table and uh, I, I opened up and I showed you my pilot and I showed you Lake's pilot and I showed you Keith's pilot. And you said to me, you're like, you know what needs to happen between these three is that you need to be a part of them. And I said, no, because this isn't about me. This is about them. And he goes, no, you need to be able to introduce them. And the beauty of that is what, and I, I'm sure you thought about it, but the beauty of it is that I, uh, I get to, you know, people that we interview just like you, are are humble right that they, they, you don't brag about yourself and, and then the position i get put in i get to brag about the people that we interview and uh one thing the last thing i'll say before we dive into the topics we want to dive into today i get asked a lot on podcasts because what's your favorite episode ever and i always say yours because my father was with us my father asked me on the way up, what is this whole blood origins thing? I don't get it. 
once we finished interviewing you, I shook his hand and he goes, I understand now why you're doing Blood Origins. And then wow. he then shot the doe with us, right? That he hadn't, he hadn't hunted in 50 years. And, you know, he passed away in, in August last year in, in Australia. And so forever, that will be a memory that I will never be able to thank you enough for. So thank you. Thank you for bringing him here. He was, golly, what a character. My wife and all my grandkids and everybody still talks about him. He was quite the character. And, you know, I was up at ESPN one time arguing back and forth when we were moving our TV show from TNN to ESPN, and they were trying to get me on track with what they wanted production-wise. And uh, we were, I was looking at those people saying, you don't know anything about hunting. And they were looking at me going, you don't know anything about television. And we were both 100% correct. But at some point, that guy who had graduated from Berkeley Film School slammed his fist down on the table. He said, let me tell you two things that won't ever go out of style. One is stories, a good storyline. And the other one's characters. People love characters. Your dad was a character I could have talked to him all night and 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 to be able to take him hunting and sit behind you guys and watch that happen was uh it was divine intervention and the fact that you brought him to my place was uh was an honor and uh it, it was awful cool we still talk about that that's that's why I got this place I tell you it's uh for stuff like that and that rates up there at the top that's right that's right well, Cody, do you want to do the honors of, I guess we've introduced Cuz already, but uh, you want to do the honors of introducing Cuz to our listenership? Uh, yeah, I mean, if honestly, if you don't know who he is, then I don't think you've been paying attention. I think uh, I'll do my own introduction. How's that? Because I won't claim to know the details. Um, he's been, he's been uh, in the hunting and television and product industry for at least a few years now. I heard, I heard Robbie maybe earlier say 35-ish. Is that about right on the TV side, Cuz? Yeah, on the TV side, that's about right. That's, that's a long time. I, I'll tell you that uh, that's right about the time my dad's let me start watching. Back then, we weren't watching – we weren't watching – TV shows much. A couple shows were on ESPN, but you bought, bought, uh, I have a box that has some VHS tapes in it with your, with your picture on it. And as well as some, some DVDs that have your picture on it. Um, I started an outfitting business in Kansas when I got out of the Marine Corps. Um, and, uh, your stuff, let me, let me finish before you react. Okay. Your, your stuff was, so good that it made us think it was easy so we thought we'd make a turkey tape so i did make a turkey tape in uh like 1999 it was terrible i mean it was actually that was an absolute horrible piece of production proved to me that you had to know what you were doing to make it look easy but uh i'm excited man i mean i'm, I'm a longtime fan i've always looked at you as one of the just the good guys in this group the, the kind of guys that Obviously, there was a lot to learn from hunting, but someone that would be fun to hang out with, too, I think. Learn something from about being a human. 
It's a horrible well, introduction, that's, but that's what I got. No, it's not. First off, thank you for your service. And Robbie knows this, but the highlight of my life hunting wise every year now takes place in Florida. The first 10 days of Turkey season, when we take wounded bets, it's become the highlight of, uh, we've done it for 15 years now. And I wouldn't take anything for that because hanging out with people who served people who still serve and, uh, it makes you humble. And it's, it's, it tries my patience when I go with other people and I'll, I'll hear them say stuff like, well, I didn't hear a turkey gobble or something was, the wind was too high or something. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I just spent a week with eight guys who didn't have legs and they never complained. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of changed right. my life. So thank you for your service. Nothing takes priority over that. That's why we try to do so much with law enforcement and military and stuff like that. But my whole deal was uh, was just a fluke. Again, you'll hear me say divine intervention a lot because meeting Robbie was divine intervention. Meeting Will Primos was divine intervention. And I certainly didn't know anything about video production. I, I can remember when we started to edit the first Primos tape, which is now a cult movie. It's unbelievable, that first truth about turkey hunting. But when I got all the tapes in the box and went in there and set it down, we plugged one in, and the guy in the room was looking at it, and he, he asked me, said, all right, when did you take a white balance? And I'm, I'm looking at him. I'm saying, what's a white balance? I didn't have, I didn't have a clue. It's, it's been a long road. But what I did understand was trying to tell a story. My dad was a writer. He was a 20-year guy in the army and he had a sports column when he retired at the Natchez Democrat. And I just knew telling a story was a big deal. And, and to Toxie's credit, the guy I worked for, it was never about me or him or anything. Else. It was always about the critters or the habitat or something like that. And the way you get that message across is telling stories. So it was just kind of a fluke. That's one reason why Blood Orange has has done so good, man. When you clip that new, when that when that new comes up, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or wherever it is, you know you're fixing to get a story, and everybody's got a story. Uh, you know, my favorite show used to come on CBS where the guy would throw the dart at the at the map and go to that town and get in the phone book and just go boom, and he would pick a name. He'd go to their house, and it would be an amazing story. So. You know, I'm doing a podcast now, and I don't hardly ever have a celebrity. I've had Robbie on there and Ted Nugent and Will, a couple of them. But the best ones are just people who have great stories and are really good at what they do. And to me, those are the most interesting people there are. 100%. Cody, did you hear him say uh, a celebrity like me and Ted Nugent? That's not even remotely what he said. He said, I never have celebrities on. And then he said, I've even had to scrape the bottom of the barrel and have Robbie. <laughs> Robbie Which is not true. You know, cuz, cuz could get real famous people on his podcast if he wanted to. Um, it must've been kind of yeah, a pity book or that. something. I don't know. Now I want to talk about blood origins. That's why I got him on there. Cause that's a, Interesting no, subject, I, but I, I hate to bother so much. 
you know, but there's, there's man, that, look, that's what I tell people all the time. Don't, don't give up hope because there's great people all over the world. And you just don't see them on the six o'clock news. Nobody will, nobody talks about the right kind of stuff. You know, it, it's, they're out there. They're everywhere. I'm telling you. And I'm, I, I swear, I think they're the majority. I certainly hope they're ma- the majority. I believe they are. They, you know, the, uh, and I'm not going to get political. I promise. I, I just don't. I, get political on my podcast but the people who think so much different from us and who are lacking common sense skills they folk they they focus so hard on the media and our educational system that sometimes the message gets skewed and it's lacking a little common sense so anyway that's my take i'll get off the political soapbox and move on to something else (laughs) Well, because I, uh, I sent you an email earlier that had a bunch of articles that um, that we've collected during the week. And I have to apologize because I did throw in an article in there that actually did not arise this week. It arised in April of 2020. But I thought it was such an interesting article that I felt like uh, it warranted some discussion. Uh, so typically what we do here, because is we let the guest choose uh, whatever article you wanted to discuss uh, that came into the hunting outdoor space uh, this week. So uh, whatever article you want to hit first, feel free to, to, to tee it up and Cody and I will, and you will discuss it. Yeah. I'm not the best, best guy on details, but I was fascinated and I hadn't seen the article about uh, the white tailed deer up in New York. I'm I'm way more familiar with white tailed deer than I am leopards and what you guys cover. But it, you know, <laughs> I've I've been around that topic uh, a lot. And uh, again, you know the the uh, here's what you're up against when you start talking about people who want to, you know, impregnate those or give a vasectomy to a wild deer first off if that's your idea of game management you probably ain't going to be friends number one but number here's what you're up against i was in the airport one time i'll never forget this in denver and i had either a camo shirt or a cam i had something mossy oak with me and there's this lady sitting next to me and and we were we were in Denver coming back from an elk hunt we video and I was so sore and tired I couldn't hardly talk so I wasn't looking but she just kept on she finally said so you're a hunter I said yes ma'am well and she just went into me for six or seven minutes just straight about this and that and this and that and I said okay I understand I said so you're you don't want me chasing the elk on his own ground with a bow in there for seven or eight days. And if I'm lucky enough to harvest one, to take that venison, which I had, and take it home and feed my family with it, but you're okay with a cow who they shoot in the head with an air gun and a wooden stake, and you're okay with eating a hamburger that comes off of that cow. And she looked me square in the eye and she said, well, that's different. How do you argue with that? I, I, I personally can't argue anymore with that. And I said, okay. You know, and I just stopped the conversation. So, you know, I had, I had all girls. I had girls. And I didn't necessarily want them to be big hunters. I wanted them to, 
be able to talk around the supper table and I wanted them to know where food came from, especially protein. Because if you're eating protein, something died. I don't care what kind it is. I don't, if you're eating vegan style, something died, you know, because you take agriculture and they decimate however many, and God bless the farmers. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. I'll farm some myself. But when you disrupt that ecosystem there, you're killing bow weevils and whatever else it is, turning earthworms up. Something's dying for you to plant that food. So people who take the stance of they're better, that's the stance they take. They're better than you. You know, that I, I can argue that point. Maybe not as good as Ted Nugent, but it's, it, it makes no sense. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't have to make sense in this day and time to have a good argument because it's like, People who are of that mindset, they want to argue until you start making sense, and then the argument's over. They just want to shout, and uh, it's it's hard to argue that point. I, I just wanted my kids to know where it comes from, how much work it is. Somebody gets bloody, uh, and it, it the fact that those people in New York want to, you know, perform a vasectomy on a wild deer and turn it out or uh, whatever they do to the females, it, it, it just blows my mind, the money they spend on that and the people that would love to go in there and hunt and do it the right way. It, it, it's mind-boggling. So that was an interesting, that very interesting article. Yeah, so the article's title was Incredible Waste of Money, America's Most Ineffective Deer Management Program. As I said, it came out April 29th of 2020. And I think the thing that I took away, Cody and Cuz, was that at the time of the study, they had conducted 1,719 vasectomies of a population of bucks that they estimated was between 300 and 500. So it's almost 350% larger, which all you had to do was ask any resource biologist that as you started putting vasectomies on deer, you're going to have deer move around. People, you know, bucks come in from other places. You're never going to. And as the article points out, you've now started something like fertilizing a pond. When you fertilize a pond for game fish, you cannot stop fertilizing. So now they cannot stop vasectom <laughs> conducting vasectomies on, on, on buck deer. And they, they, it wasn't part of this New York study, but it was a part of another study where they, in, in fact, tied the tubes of females that couldn't get pregnant. And those females were cycling into estrus every six weeks or so, and essentially getting um, mated to death or mated into a health con condition that they couldn't survive winter. So it's, it's almost the antithesis of what these people actually wanted. When wouldn't, I, this is a legitimate question, because I get, I guarantee I have the least amount of white tail knowledge on this on this podcast. But but if you were successful with a vasectomy on a huge percentage of the bucks in a certain region of this area, and the does came in, therefore didn't get bred, aren't you probably attracting more? I mean, aren't you bringing more bucks are going to come right because you have does in estrus that are not getting bred. And and they're staying in estrus and screwing up the cycle, right? I don't. Yeah, I can't fathom like Mother Nature's gonna. She's gonna handle all that. Yeah, she's she's stronger than all of us. 
not only are there more bucks going to move in, the does are going to move to different areas because they know, they know they haven't been bred. They know that. So you're just spreading the problem further around. I mean, it's, it's just common sense. I saw one time, and this may have been before Robbie's time, but when they first opened up Terra Wildlife, Willow Point, which I thought was the craziest thing ever. Here's a guy, Benny Street was the guy that was in charge. And uh, they were going to have this bow hunting only operation on the Mississippi River. And I, I was laughing. I was like, you got to be crazy. Well, guess what? You still can't get a booked hunt down there during the rut. It's doing great. But we were down there one time doing something. And they had a lengthy, lengthy drought. Not the case down there anymore. It's all about floods on that Mississippi Plain right now, the Mississippi River Basin. It's crazy. But this was uh, going into double-digit months without any moisture to, 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 to speak of at all. And the does were aborting their fetuses on their own. They found, you know, every day they'd find five or ten or six or eight and the and the deer just knew that they weren't going to survive. They were aborting their own. Fit. Mother Nature takes care of all that. Now we have to step in and you know regulate populations. And and, and again, when you bring up everything that sportsmen, sportswomen, everybody, anything we've done, it's the it's the most successful plan in modern history for wildlife restoration no other continent nobody else comes close to what we've done no animal that's illegal to hunt has ever been on the endangered species list and it's like you want to make the deer sterile it it, it make it, i read that and at first i thought it was a joke i said i said robbie has sent me something that he just fixed up with you know on his computer and the more I read on no, they're serious about it. I shouldn't be surprised at all. But, you know, the, the people that have that, that mindset, they have that mindset because, they number one, they, they want you to believe that they're smarter than you are and they love animals more than you do, which is crazy. I have a short argument for people now who will go down that path and I'll, There'll be about anti-hunting this or anti-trapping that. And I'll say, look, I, look, if you want to do something, buy a hunting license. If you really care, buy a hunting license because all the money comes from us. It doesn't come from y'all. Trapping and relocating, reforestation, habitat, anything you want to name. Some of the U.S. forests, all that comes from people who buy hunting license. That's where all that money comes from. So if you want to do something good, buy a hunting license. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's a small minority of people. And play, plus up there where that is, there's a very probably big group of left-minded, liberal-thinking people. And it's almost gotten to where it's, uh, it, it's not black or white or north or south. It's almost like rural versus urban. Because when you get out where people have to work the land and do this and take care of business the people that are feeding the world they don't make stupid decisions like that they do their research and find that's why giant farming operations also have hunters that come in and lease the land to do that they know what's going on but uh again it's hard it's hard to to get into those people's brains and 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 swim with logic doesn't work
Yep. I don't know how after five years, though, the money, like in the beginning, I wouldn't, I would have, you know, if I'd have been involved in the discussion on this deer vasectomy thing in New York in the very beginning, you would have just had to plead, plead with them to an I'm right and you're wrong scenario. I wouldn't have had any backing. They're now $6.6 million into it and have 800 more deer than they originally estimated and are claiming success. Like when you have numbers like that slapping you in the face, how can you not go? I, I, the other statistic that I wanted to discuss this topic was the New York state deficit, which in 2020 was $13.3 billion was their deficit. 6.6 6.6 million is like a can of soda when, you, when your deficit is 13.3 billion. But those are the policies that get you a $13.3 billion deficit. Those kind of irrational decisions. Um, and you probably, I mean, just think if you'd have opened it up to, and there's some big forested areas there. It's not like people need to think that we're talking about just neighborhoods here. There's 60 square miles I mean, if you'd opened that up to a draw archery hunt, you know, that little project could have, and if you'd opened it up to, you know, some doe tags as well, you probably actually could have lowered the population a little bit and generated revenue to attack that $13 billion deficit. I I don't understand how at this point they can't look at facts. I get that we're going to lose those emotional conversations a lot of times. Um, But I don't, when you look at facts, this is a horribly failed, miserable program that I remember when it came out and just crazy the way people rationalize things. Lost words. The best logical explanation I ever saw about this came from Jeff Foxworthy, Jeff Foxworthy. And I had a clip of this. I don't know if I still have it on my phone, but he was asked, he's pretty famous and uh, he's pretty well known. And somebody asked him why he hunted. The best explanation I ever saw of this was from Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy, the comedian. He's pretty famous. He's a big, big time hunter. And somebody kind of swiped him with that question. And I forgot, but it was a Hollywood setting. It was not a hunting setting by any stretch. And he stopped and he 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 got out a sheet of paper. And he he had a sheet of paper, it's probably six inches square. He said, Okay, now imagine that's a hundred acres. And I have 50 white-tailed deer on it. And that hundred acres will support that 50 white-tailed deer. All right, if I don't, if I don't harvest any of those deer. Next year, there's going to be 150 white-tailed deer on this piece of paper, and the habitat's not going to support them. And if I don't hunt them that year, the next year is going to be 450 on this same six-inch square, which is 100 acres. And he said, and if I don't step in to do something about that, then Mother Nature does. They destroy crops. They get diseases and all. I just thought it was the best answer I'd ever heard. And when he got through, the reporter just went, boom, to another question that his eyes were this big around. You could tell he was totally confused, didn't want to address it anymore. Boom, right on to the next question. But again, you can't, you can't confuse people who have that mindset with logical thought. They're just, they're just not going to, they're just not going to buy it. 
And it's a shame, even no matter how expensive it is. I mean, you could talk all night about, you know, budgets and good states and bad states and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's tough times we live in right now, you know, and, and I personally believe it's going to come down to good states and bad states. It really is. You know, there's lots of good states who take things into account, hunting license money, you know, so they can hire more game and fish people and do all that. But it's uh, it, it's it's a little nutty and out of control right now. Any final words on the uh, white-tailed deer article? Well, Cody said it best. There's almost seven million dollars in debt, and they have however many eight hundred more deer now than they did when they started. So. Uh, hey, I'm open to hear what their what their next move is. If it was me, I would open it up to an archery draw hunt, like Cody said. I follow this guy on Instagram. You probably do. And he's called the uh, Urban Bow Hunter. He lives in New York, and he's always looking for places to go. And there's tons of people like that. There's all kinds of people like that. But you know. I'm just a cameraman. I don't have the answers to all that, but apparently, you know, vasectomies and tying tubes on doe deer ain't it. Amen. I live just outside of Canyon City, Colorado, and they have a legitimate in-town mule deer problem. Like, it's nothing to be driving down Main Street and have to wait for 20 mule deer to walk across in front of you. State of Colorado, last year, I don't want to say details, but because I, I don't want to misquote details, but there is now a Canyon City archery tag. The only rule is you got to be four feet off the ground. That was their that was their safety requirement. So your arrows got on a downward trajectory when you shoot, but you can be anywhere in town if you draw that tag and shoot a mule deer. I'd like to five years of that. Let's see how the population control compares to the New York State problem. They they, they did that in New Jersey. When them white-tailed deer start eating them $400 rose bushes, they'll come up with a solution, buddy. And that's what they did in New Jersey. <laughs> Opened it up to the bow hunters, and they don't have that issue. Right. So the next article came from Billings Gazette, uh, Montana, Billings, Montana. And it was called Yellowstone Experiments with Hazing Wolves that Get Too Close to People. And clearly, I did not send you these articles, uh, or this article, as classic Kroger uh, does just surprise you with information this is what he does to us because you just got a brace and and simper gumby always flexible so the, the the premise of the article is all about habituation animal habituation to people and they have obviously a very strong wolf population in yellowstone and people in yellowstone obviously want to see wolves they want to see pictures of wolves they want to get close to wolves you can get out of your vehicles in yellowstone and you can approach any piece of wildlife you want Unlike in South Africa, and this is where people get a little, they can't believe it, but in our most iconic national parks or any national park that has wildlife in it, you are not allowed to get out of your vehicle. Because we know that when people get out of vehicles, bad things happen. We have, uh, we have line parks outside of Johannesburg, South Africa. Sorry, this is a bit of a, a detour, but it's, it's important to the story. We have line parks outside of South Africa in which you can drive through a section that has an enclosure that has live big lions and they feed them with with dead cattle and whatnot and it's a bit of a furor and everyone's leaning out of their windows taking pictures and yada 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 but 
I remember as a kid, at least two occasions where people decided in the line enclosure to get out of their vehicles, to get closer, to take pictures. And lo and behold, there were, uh, you know, Chinese tourists, if I remember correctly, and, um, they got eaten in the line enclosure. And so this whole article is about uh, the, the idea that you're going to have habituation. And there's this one wolf, wolf 1273M. And I'm glad that they actually called it that. They didn't call it Butch the Wolf or something crazy like that. Um, that they decided they needed to do some hazing and uh, some, some deconditioning to reverse the conditioning of this wolf. And so the article goes on by saying, uh, during the pandemic, 55 days at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Yellowstone staff went out armed to the teeth with the intent to reverse Wolf 1273M's conditioning. To put it bluntly, we pounded him last spring when the park was closed. I mean pounded him, Smith said. Anytime he was on the road, we hit him with paintballs, beanbags, rubber bullets, the whole nine yards. Ahead of bringing the pain, the big black male wolf has had shown he had lost all apprehension around people. So that's why they decided to undertake this tactic. So I guess the bigger question to you, Cody and Cuz, maybe Cody, you'll, you can answer first and then Cuz, you can jump on what Cody says. Is when is it going to take that next step? Because that never really happened in Yellowstone, right? You've never seen a... Um, have there been any grizzly attacks in Yellowstone? I don't think so. Or wolf attacks in Yellowstone. But when it, you know, when does habituation get to a point where wildlife is so conditioned that you almost have to go to lethal uh, situations? A grizzly charged yesterday, or I, I don't, I, w I wouldn't say the exact date. I believe, I believe, like May twenty second, twenty third of this year. A grizzly charged a person um, in Yellowstone. It's on. It's on video. It's floating around the internet. Um, it did pull up and stop as she shied away. Also, she got out of her car and closed the distance to about thirty yards from a large boar grizzly. Um, I by no means wish any ill on people. I'm a hundred percent against. When people walk out there and get too close to them, there being any repercussions for the animal if they get hurt, though. I mean, that's just nature. Um, I, I I think habitualization is there's a I'll screw up the details on this because you didn't send me the article, so I didn't do the back study. But I believe it's Valerius Geist. Valerius Geist wrote a book called The Seven Steps of Dehabitualization or the seven steps of habitualization of wolves apologize. It's a great book. Um, and Valerius Geist was a wolf biologist who was kind of a save the wolf guy who then as he studied them more realized we need to manage them. And a big part of management in his mind was dehabitualization that once we quit becoming a predator of the wolf and he has data laid out in there on how long it takes before the generations of wolves no longer view us as a threat because they're pretty big badass dudes on their own and if this if this thing over here isn't coming after him sooner or later 
generation after generation, it makes a switch from a predator to a bystander to prey. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's only, again, it's kind of like cuz was talking about before. It's only common sense. If, if there's a, if there's an alpha predator who goes for an extended amount of time, generation after generation of not teaching the young sooner or later, generation after generation of wolves, not seeing humans as a threat increases that habitualization and you know they're going to go from curious to snack time it's just that's the the process that's going to happen um and eventually it's either going to diminish our access to yellowstone um and they're going to start keeping people there'll be repercussions people will stop being able to get out of their cars in yellowstone which sucks because it's a cool thing that you can go walk around there or they're going to have to start using some more serious methods of controlling the wolves and their their attitudes. Cause have you ever have you ever seen a wolf? You, you know, Rob, you can get on your yeah. Well, you can get on your phone right now and just Google elk attacks man or elk attacks tourist or something like that. I mean, it's there's there's dozens and dozens of videos of people getting. There was one two or three days ago. Somebody got gored. I don't know if they got gored. They got flipped up in the air about 10 feet by an elk. I don't know how, I'm not sure it's not happening right now, but it happens every summer out there. Every fall, people go out there and they get too close to those big elk. People who don't understand wildlife, they learn everything they get from television, you know, or wherever. And they, you know, they watch Bambi and they think everybody can go feed some handful of clover to a, 700 pound bull elk that's got 15 cows around him it, it's uh it's kind of crazy i don't think i don't think if someone gets attacked it'll change anything you know they hadn't changed they can still get out of their cars and go up toward the elk and stuff like that now and i don't know if it didn't do much with the you know when the hikers and bikers and all that started getting attacked in california by the mountain lions it didn't really change a lot I don't think it's changed anything out there. It's just people seem to draw that line. Hey, as long as it wasn't me, we need to protect the critter. Uh, it's crazy. I've watched so many videos. I, I watched a presentation at, uh, I don't remember what show it was, but it was, and this guy, he, he had filmed this pack of wolves that killed, I don't know how many elk it was, 16 or 17 like that. Didn't even eat them. Just kept moving from one to the next to the next to the next. They're just cold-blooded killers. People think they're a, a big German shepherd. They're not. They're vicious, vicious predators. And uh, that's right. You get a and they they see all these people standing outside their cars. You know, with cameras, it ain't gonna take much of that for them to figure it out. That's food. And again, you know, no common sense, no solution. So I I, I got a healthy respect for them. First time I went hunting up in the I did public ground hunt up in Wisconsin and a bow hunter can't carry. If you're from out of state, you can't carry a firearm during bow season up there. And I had a knife that was, I mean, it was big and I had it strapped down to my boot down there. Cause they, you, they howled at night. I saw wolf tracks in my boot tracks. I was on point. Now I was a little up. I, I'm from Mississippi, you know, I, I'm not used to that. And my, I was looking at, I was picking out that knife and it looked kind of like a miniature machete. And my wife said, what are you going to do with that? 
I said, well, I'll feel better. And at some point I may use it on myself, but at least I'll have something because those, those wolves, when they get in packs like that, they're crazy. But again, if people don't understand it, if all the education they have was on television, watching some documentary there, if they'll get out and try to approach a giant bull elk, you know, they're going to think a, a wolf is a dog. So I don't, I don't know that anything would change it. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting dilemma. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know of any man-eating wolves incidences, like purposeful uh, man-eating, like any other predators. Even in India, like we've been covering a bunch of different topics about India, leopards eating men, uh, man-eating leopards, man-eating tigers. You just don't hear of of wolves being man-eaters. Um, I guess, I don't know. So I think there's been instances of them taking kids, but not purposeful, like developing a taste for, for human flesh, like tigers and lions and, and leopards. Well, everywhere they've been in the past, all the human beings had lever action rifles or something. <laughs> and I'm sure they associate humans with danger. You take that away. It's like Cody said, you know, pretty it doesn't take many generations to, you know, get away from that. Well, they're not going to hurt me. They look like they eat pretty good. So, I mean, that's coming. You know, that that's the job of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And I, I don't know how many I've I hadn't been I have been to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Office, but I I don't know how I don't know how people think in there now. I don't know where they were educated. I don't know what they're thinking about. But uh, you know, the 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 encroachment by man is not going away those issues are going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. So at some point, maybe they'll, maybe they'll figure it out. We can always hope for common sense. Right. right. Here's a quick, here's a quick fact. Previous job I had was, was uh, heavily dedicated to the wolf issue. And there's a fact that always stuck out to me in the, 600 years, not quite, it's like 550 years of recorded history in France prior to common access to a firearm. So I believe this was up to like 1908 is when they made this number of the common person in France had access to a firearm. Someone can argue with me. I'm not laying claims. But in that 500 years... There was 7,600 recorded. People had pen and paper even 600 years ago. 7,600 recorded deaths, human deaths by wolves. In the time frame since the human being developed the firearm, there's been seven. Now, granted, that's only 110 years, but still the numbers are since human beings became a legitimate threat. Now, obviously, there are some human beings who are a threat to, prior to a firearm, a single human being, unless you're Cuz Strickland with a mini machete by yourself, doesn't have much chance against a pack of wolves without a firearm. Um, and that, to me, was a fact that stuck out in my brain on the habitualization part, that once people were able to jump them in the food chain, which really it took the firearm to be able to do that or large hunting parties 
of people with spears and bows and arrows. Um, anyway, that's, that, that's a number to me that if, if you reverse that and they in their mind move above us again, I think we'll start to have real problems. And I think that there's some evidence of that starting to happen in, in the GYP, in the greater Yellow, GYA, the greater Yellowstone area. I'm a huge fan. We've talked about wolves a lot on this podcast. I love seeing them in the wild. They're incredible. But 100%, they're an animal that we have to manage. Um, and I believe they need to be managed with, with lethal mechanisms at times. Well, guess who's going to have to do that? Or we could give them all vasectomies. Yeah, that'll work. We could give them all vasectomies too. I'm with Senator Kennedy. I'm with Senator Kennedy from Louisiana who posted a video of him wiping something in his hand. He says, I truly believe love is the answer, but just in case, you should own a firearm. And he's polishing his pistol. I thought that was the best post I've seen. I believe love's the answer, but you should probably own a gun. That's a good stuff. Well, cuz, uh, we're getting to the top of the hour and, uh, we typically keep this at an hour. So we're not going to be able to get to some of the other articles, but, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to, and I know Cody, you know, Cody was talking to me before we got onto this for at least two weeks, three weeks, that if he could get your signature through this podcast platform, he would, because he's been like a kid in a candy store that Cuz Strickland was going to join us on the round. Listen, that, that's, uh, Cody needs to raise his bar way above anything I've ever done, I can promise you. He he certainly needs to raise his bar because what what you guys do right now, what what I do pales in comparison. You know, I'm I'm uh, my days of hiking in from the trailhead and that kind of stuff. That kind of adventure's over. I've kind of turned my point to, you know, I, I personally have a lot of faith in the the really young generation. I really do. I I got a pretty big Instagram following, and if you go into the dashboard. It's 90, 94% males between 16 and 28 years old, which is staggering to me. That's hard to believe. But I think they get it better than that middle generation. I really do. And it's, it's from all the good messages, you know, like from Blood Origins and Ted Nugent, people with, that have common sense. It's, it's, man, what y'all do is so important. And keeping those, uh, those topics out there for like me, if I if I didn't follow you guys, I wouldn't I wouldn't know anything about the leopards and all that kind of stuff. I love keeping up with that. I may not ever have to talk about it, but I'd like to be armed with the the information anyway. So I promise you, what you do is uh, way more important than what I do, and I appreciate y'all having me on there. Well, thank you, Cuz. We much appreciate you, and uh, apologize for the technical difficulties. We're, we're still. Uh naive when it comes to the podcast game and we're just trying to get better and better every week but uh thank you man i really appreciate you coming on and cody no whiskey tonight maybe next next week we'll have some whiskey okay yeah absolutely i still got a little cough thing going because it's been an honor i think uh you've done a lot for the hunting world but you just also shown a lot of people what being a good man is all about guys like you and and will primos is uh you know, someone that I had the the fortune to hunt with in camp multiple times, and uh, I've also hunted with a whole lot of folks that are that do uh, the same occupation 
that you've done for the last 35 years, but, uh, don't, don't have the integrity and the, and the, uh, that stuff's so much more important than the hunting skill for what it does for people watching you talk about hunting is good for hunting. That's, that's the way I'll sum it up. It's good for us. Well, I appreciate it. I, I used to tell all our young videographers, and I hired many of them to just look, here's the key to success is number one, don't ever be late. If you're on time, you're late, be early. And number two, just act like your mama's behind you. Just, just, you know, carry yourself like you would. Your main goal is to be invited back wherever you go. If that means, you know, doing some dishes or helping skin the deer and all that, because uh, people are special and I enjoy being around them. And uh, like I say, I, I, I appreciate you guys asking me to be on there. I'm, I'm not, I get, a, I get asked to do a lot of podcasts. And uh, usually it's, a, I'd say 80% of the time it's about turkey hunting. So sometimes, believe it or not, I get tired of talking about turkey hunting. So thank you for inviting me and, uh, and, and bringing me up a notch. I enjoyed visiting with you guys. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.